We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. And away we go, episode 189 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, November 17th, 2021. You know, I looked at my phone as I made my march down to my basement bunker studio at 2 a.m. to tape this show, and I said to myself, geez, it's already November 17th. We're more than halfway through November. Thanksgiving is next week. Christmas is a little more than a month away. This happens every year. The NFL season begins, and then like five minutes later, it's Thanksgiving. But anyway, hello and welcome to a Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. The Washington football team on this Wednesday is beginning the team's practice week for the Sunday afternoon's game at the Carolina Panthers at one. If this Washington season is truly back on off the big 29-19 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon. You figure that this game at the Panthers is a game that Washington wins. The tell of what that win over the Bucs was figures to come this Sunday. If the win over the Bucs was a one-off, you know, a nice day in an otherwise dreary Washington football team season, then Washington this Sunday goes right back to losing. But if the win over the Bucs was the start of a turnaround, the start of a run in the second half of the season, then Washington this Sunday pulls off another win. I have some thoughts for you on the game coming up next segment. I'm not sure that you're prepared to hear these thoughts, but I'll give them to you anyway. Uh, I have a special guest for you to talk Washington football, Washington football team insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post. We're going to discuss a variety of aspects of our Washington football team, including this. Is it realistic to think that Washington's defense uh, might be just fine without both Chase Young and Montez Sweat? I have a special tribute 
to the late Sam Huff, including this question. Is the team of Sonny Jurgensen, Sam Huff, and Frank Herzog, Sonny, Sam, and Frank, is that team the greatest Washington, D.C. sports announced team ever? Uh, also, I have plenty of non-Washington football team items for you. Justin Fuente out as Virginia Tech's head football coach. That he's out isn't surprising. When he's out, perhaps is. I'll do a deep dive on Fuente being out as Hokies head coach, why he's out, and what now for Virginia Tech. Understand we talk Virginia Tech football on this podcast. A lot of Hokies fans in the DMV. I'll postgame another overtime loss for the Capitals, a 3-2 overtime loss at the Anaheim Ducks late night on Tuesday night. But to me, this was a win in a lot of ways uh, because the already depleted Caps were minus another key player and the Caps rallied to tie the game in regulation. And they'll have some thoughts for you on Georgetown's 79-57 blowout of American at Capital One Arena on Tuesday night. No, the Hoyas did not lose on Tuesday night. The Hoyas won, uh, unlike what happened in the Hoyas season opener, that uh, debacle to Dartmouth at Capital One Arena this past Saturday afternoon. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. So on Tuesday's show, episode 188, I read an email from Taylor Heineke supporter extraordinaire Sabah, and I mentioned that Sabah is, of course, a big Washington football team fan, so much so that she gave birth to one of her children with a Washington game on the television. I said, I thought that I remembered that correctly. Well, sure enough, I got this email from Sabah on Tuesday morning. Wrote Sabah, who is a doctor, by the way, one of many doctors who listen to this podcast. This podcast, for whatever reason, kills it in the doctor demo. Uh, anyway, here we go. Al, I was, as usual, listening to your podcast. First thing this AM. There you go, Sabah. Continue, Sabah. And I heard you mention how much of a Redskins fan I am. Just wanted to clear things up regarding me giving birth during a Redskins game. Actually, my wedding and having my firstborn have something in common with the Tampa Bay game this past Sunday. On my wedding day, Sunday, September 24th, 1995, during my photo shoot prior to the start of my wedding, I was holding my tiny portable TV with an antenna so that I could watch a Redskins-Tampa Bay game. The photographer had to ask me to put the TV down while he was taking the photos of me and my husband. While in the hospital during the birth of my firstborn, a son, born on September 30th, 2000, after 15 hours of labor and exhausted the next day, I noticed my TV in my hospital room had the channel that the Redskins Tampa Bay game was on not working. So I politely, parentheses, you believe that, asked the nurses to move me to another room. They did, and my less than one day old son and I watched the Redskins beat Tampa Bay on October 1st, 2000. So there you go. My wedding day, Redskins Tampa Bay, becoming a mother, Redskins Tampa Bay. Most amazing win witnessed with my pooch bucket by my side, Redskins Tampa Bay. I've attached a picture. Keep up the great work. Your podcast is simply the best. Thank you, Dr. Sabah. And yes, I saw the pick because Sabah and Bucket were at FedEx Field on Sunday. And the pick of Sabah and Bucket, by the way, was not taken in front of porta potties, unlike the photo op for Sean Taylor's family. Thank you very much. Uh, email from Peter Morales Nieves of Springfield, Virginia, aka the Boricua, uh, writes Peter. And by the way, he sent me this prior to Chase Young getting injured in the win over the Bucks 
at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon. Is FedEx Field haunted? I watch a lot of football, and no stadium has more victims than FedEx Field. Ryan Fitzpatrick, hip. Kyle Allen, ankle. Alex Smith, compound fracture of tibia, fibula. Robert Griffin III, dislocated ankle. Robert Griffin III, torn ACL, and more. Continues Peter. Now my son sings the intro song. The song is a hit with the first grader. Thanks for the excellent job. Well, thank you, Peter, uh, for the email. And thank you, Peter, uh, to your son as well. So, you know, you go through those quarterback injuries for Washington at FedEx Field. It really is a jarring list. And of course, we now can add the Chase Young injury. And I know that you only did Washington quarterback injuries, but there are other injuries we could put on a list as well. For instance, Adrian Peterson suffered his torn ACL in a game at FedEx Field. Christmas Eve 2011. I have to say this about the Chase Young injury. I did wonder whether that was caused by the turf at FedEx Field. As I was watching the replay of what happened on Sunday, I mean, the injury certainly seemed to be pretty close to being a non-contact injury. And as many of you listening know, there were a lot of injuries at FedEx Field on Sunday during that Washington win over the Bucks. It felt like every five minutes, the game was being paused uh, due to someone being hurt. The thing is, we can't say with certainty that the field caused the injuries because we know that injuries happen a lot in the NFL. And while the field at FedEx Field has a terrible reputation, a lot of work has been done on the field at FedEx Field. Uh, Washington football team insider Ben Standing and NFL editor Zach Boyer of The Athletic DC this past May reported that the team in May was beginning the first major reconstruction of FedEx Field's grass surface since the stadium opened in 1997. Now, it's a joke that there had not been a major reconstruction of FedEx Field's grass surface since the stadium opened in 1997, but there was major work done on the field this past offseason. Washington had resodded the field at FedEx Field in recent seasons, but the grass surface reconstruction was the first of its kind since FedEx Field opened in 1997. I don't know. Maybe not enough was done to the field, or maybe what happened on Sunday had nothing to do with the field. I am not an agronomist. Uh, I'm also not a lawyer, but I'll tell you who is. The Warriors at Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. You know, former Washington kicker Kai Forbath, a.k.a. Cobra Kai, in November 2017, said the following of FedEx Field while playing for the Minnesota Vikings, quote, it's dirt, and they spray paint it green. It's just not good grass, end quote. Well, maybe Cobra Kai should call Paulson and Nace, although Paulson and Nace is about true justice. Uh, Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. Paulson and Nace is a law firm that wins. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars 
for the sick and injured. You see, not all law firms focusing on medical malpractice, birth injuries, product liability, and other personal injury matters have trial experience. In fact, many law firms have no courtroom experience at all and look to settle such cases without ever presenting them to a jury. A client has limited options for reasonable settlement if he or she is represented by an attorney with limited trial experience. Well, Paulson and Nace founding partner Barry Nace has tried more medical malpractice cases to verdict in Washington, D.C. than any other plaintiff's attorney. If you're looking for a lawyer, ask yourself this. Do you want an attorney who talks about unverified successful cases or do you want a law firm that has fought the good fight for decades? That's Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. Well, before we get to our special guest, Washington football team insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post, I do have a few things for you on the Washington football team, which on this Wednesday was to begin the team's practice week for the Sunday afternoon's game at the Carolina Panthers at 1. Washington on Tuesday afternoon announced multiple roster moves, including the placing of Chase Young on the reserve injured list. So he is now officially, officially out with this torn right ACL. Washington, as a corresponding roster move, announced the signing of interior defensive lineman Daniel Wise from the practice squad to the active roster. Also, Washington activated offensive lineman Sadiq Charles from the reserve COVID-19 list, which he had been on since the previous Tuesday, November 9th. And Washington announced the signing of tight end Tameric Hemingway to the practice squad. That's notable because Ricky Seals-Jones in the 29-19 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field this past Sunday dealt with a hip ailment. Uh, His availability for this Sunday at the Panthers unknown, and Washington still has Logan Thomas on the reserve injured list with his hamstring injury. Uh, Tameric Hemingway, of course, is a familiar name to us. Uh, Washington released Hemingway this past August 26. Initially signed Hemingway on September 17th, 2020 to the team's practice squad. He spent the rest of the 2020 season with Washington, appeared in eight regular season games, totaled one reception for 10 yards on two targets, and he got placed on the reserve injured list on December 9th, 2020 due to a reported dislocated wrist that was suffered in the win at the Pittsburgh Steelers in week 13 of last season. Hemingway was taken by the Los Angeles Rams in the sixth round of the 2016 NFL Draft at a South Carolina state. He, prior to his time with Washington, spent time with the Rams, the Denver Broncos, and, wait for it, yes, the Carolina Panthers. So this Sunday's game, in addition to being a Ron Rivera revenge game, is a Tameric Hemingway revenge game. Don't lose sight of that. Uh, It's also, of course, a revenge game for about 78 other people currently employed by the Washington football team. But here's what this game at the Panthers also is for Washington. A significant game from a standings standpoint. Yeah, I said it. A significant game from a standings 
standpoint. Now, look, I said after Washington's loss at the Denver Broncos in week eight that Washington's season was essentially over from a postseason contention standpoint. And I meant that. And I stand by that. But I used that adverb essentially. There's always at least some wiggle room until you are officially eliminated from postseason contention. And Washington, because it pulled off this upset win over the Bucks, is, shall we say, exploring the wiggle room. Seven teams in the NFC will make the NFL playoffs. Four division winners and three wild cards. The Panthers right now are the number seven seed in the NFC. The Panthers have possession of the NFC's final wild card spot. But the Panthers are just five and five. Washington is a game and a half behind the Panthers. A win over the Panthers would draw Washington to within a half game of the Panthers. Now, there are a bunch of other teams in the NFC's wild card mix, but it's worth noting that the NFC is very underwhelming once you get past the top five teams, the Green Bay Packers, the Arizona Cardinals, the Dallas Cowboys, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Los Angeles Rams. Also, Washington's opponent after the Carolina Panthers, the Seattle Seahawks, uh, they, like Washington, are just three and six. Now, Washington will be facing the Seahawks in a game on Monday Night Football at FedEx Field on November 29th. We all know the horror that Monday Night Football games at FedEx Field have been. Uh, Washington is 2-17 and 17 all-time at FedEx Field in Monday Night Football games. Yes, 2-17. and 17. That said, a win over the Seahawks would be helpful from a standing standpoint, and a win over the Seahawks is doable. The Seahawks are not some juggernaut this season, although, yes, the Seahawks have gotten back Russell Wilson. Washington's schedule is softening, my friends, and going from 2-6 and six to 5-6 and six isn't impossible. The hard part is over. Washington shocked the world and beat the Bucs. Uh, we all know that this is our team's move, right? Start off a season terribly and then make an improbable run. It's what Washington has done in each of the team's last five playoff seasons, 2005, 2007, 2012, 2015, and 2020. I'm not saying that an improbable run will happen this season. I am saying that there is a path, especially when you consider that Washington's game after the Monday Nighter against the Seahawks is at a Las Vegas Raiders team that has had every kind of problem imaginable over the last month and a half, and now has lost two consecutive games. And then we get what, right? The five NFC East games that'll close out Washington's regular season. Stop it, Goldie. Just stop it. I know. I know. But this is what a win like this past Sunday's win over the Bucks will do. I am reminded of a pearl of wisdom from the late great Rowdy Roddy Piper. As the late great Rowdy Roddy Piper said, after whooping up on poor Frankie Williams on an unforgettable installment of Piper's Pit back in the 80s, just when they think they got the answers, I change the questions. Just when they think they got the answers, I change the questions. Yes, exactly, Hot Rod. Just when they think they got the answers, I change the questions.
They think they got the answers. I changed the questions. Absolutely. Rowdy Roddy Piper, an all-time great. That Washington football team win over the Bucks was a Roddy Piper win. That win changed the questions. And we'll see what the answers end up being, but the questions have been changed because Washington pulled off this improbable win. Again, I'm not saying some miracle postseason run is coming, but I know that Ron Rivera has been thinking about this stuff, and you should be too. You don't have to believe, not yet anyway. Just be aware. There, thankfully, is some juice again to this Washington football team season. And no, I do not mean Benjamin St. Juice. He was already a part of this Washington football team season. Now, maybe this uh, newly acquired juice goes bye-bye after this Sunday afternoon's game at the Carolina Panthers. But Washington snapping its four-game losing streak with the 29-19 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon was a stunner. What? the win means is anyone's guess. And so here to help us try to figure that out and much more is our special guest, Washington football team insider, Nikki Javala of the Washington Post. You can follow her on Twitter at Nikki Javala, which is spelled J-H-A-B-V-A-L-A. J-H-A-B-V-A-L-A is how you spell that name. And you can, of course, read her work at WashingtonPost.com. Nikki, it's nice to have you back on the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on. I got a kick out of Ron Rivera telling you guys during his day after the game Zoom presser on Monday afternoon that Chase Young has a leg injury. Uh, You pressed Ron on whether, in fact, it is a torn ACL. Ron would not get specific. I know that Ron likes to, like, Belichick it with you guys with injuries. Was that what Ron was doing? Because another thought that I had was that Chase maybe suffered more than just a torn ACL, and Ron didn't want to reveal the damage beyond the ACL tear. I honestly don't understand the logic and not saying it outright when I asked because moments later he did go on other media shows and confirm it was an ACL in fact. So I don't I don't quite understand the logic behind that, but it, you know, it's a torn ACL for for Chase Young. Okay, and I know sometimes like it's a torn ACL and other stuff. Do we have any sense on whether other stuff was suffered or is this just a torn ACL? I was told it was just a torn ACL. Okay, good. That's good to hear. That's that's why I wish he had been direct because it opens it up for confusion there. And that was my question too when he said that, but I was told it was just an ACL. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Good. Uh, that's at least some good news with that. Do you think that it's realistic to think that Washington's defense might be just fine without both Chase Young and Montez Sweat? Not that Washington is better off without those guys, but you know, that the defense might play all right, given that those guys haven't exactly killed it this season, given that Washington's secondary and linebackers may be coming around, given that the schedule is starting to soften a bit, given that Ron does seem to really like, especially James Smith-Williams, who Ron keeps calling James Williams-Smith and Casey Tuhill. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you look at the production that, you know, Chase Young and Montez Sweat, who's, you know, going to be out probably four to six weeks with his jaw injury, um, the produ- production there this season that you could argue that's replaceable, but you know, the, the presence those guys bring just the threat of them on the field and what they can do. That's what you lose. Um, you know, teams still game plan for those two. Um, and, but I, I, I do think 
this team will be okay. We saw what they were able to do in the second half. I, I think they're going to have to get creative. They did blitz a heck of a lot more in the second half without those two on the field. I don't know that that's sustainable. Um, and I, I would imagine offenses would quickly figure you out if you, if you did that persistently. Um, but they're, they're going to have to rely on those guys. I think James Smith Williams is a very good player. Um, he's a different player than Chase Young, obviously. Um, you know, he's got a bit more power, um, but he's not quite the presence that, that Chase Young is. Um, but I, I think this is going to be kind of an interesting test of interesting test of their depth, and this is very similar to last year, where they kind of turned it around in the second half, and you know they dealt with so many injuries that um, they were really scraping the bottom of the roster. But they ended up finding a lot of guys that became key pieces of their future too. Um, so this this may be another one of those instances with that defensive line. Jonathan Allen, of course, has had a great season playing primarily as an interior defensive lineman. He does at times, though, take snaps as an edge rusher. Do you think we may be seeing more of Jonathan Allen as an edge rusher with both Chase Young and Montez Sweat out? Well, they in certain games, they do move them around to the edge. Like when they have some rush games, you can see them kind of move onto the interior and they'll run some stunts. Um, so there have been a couple snaps where Jonathan Allen technically is on the edge, even though he's still, you know, kind of playing that tackle position, but I don't think they would move him to the outside just to compensate for, for the absence of Chase Young and, and Montez Sweat. Um, I, I think Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne have been incredibly effective on the interior this year and, you know, why, why fix something that's not broken? Jonathan Allen is, uh, you know, honestly, the star of the defense this year. Yeah, he's been outstanding. So the big question off the big win over the Bucks on Sunday is, okay, well, what exactly was that? Which scenario to you is more likely, that the win marks the start of a turnaround to Washington season or that the win proves to be a one-off in an otherwise bad Washington season? It's so hard to tell with this team. I mean, like last year, um, you know, the, their turnaround midseason – they were able to carry that through because largely because of Alex Smith. I mean, a lot of this team's success, you know, in year one and a half of the, you know, Ron Rivera era, you have to credit Alex Smith. I, I mean, I know that a lot of people don't want to hear that, you know, he's a check down captain, whatever, but you know, he is the one that kind of stabilized that offense and got them through that, that, you know, that four game win streak to, to help them clinch the, clinch the division can taylor heineke do that consistently he's a dynamic player he's incredibly fun to watch he's got so many athletic traits um but it's the consistency can he replicate what he did against you know the i I still want to call him the patriots because it's tom brady against the bucks um and, and not slip back into the games he had against you know like you know, the, the Packers in, in previous games, it's the consistency. And that's where you just don't know. Um, and that's in both phases, offense and defense. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I know that's not a, a great answer, but it's, it really is just so hard to tell with this team. I know it's cliche to talk about players still playing for the coach and the coach not losing the players, but it does feel like Ron does still have these guys on board with him. I know that you don't have access to the locker room like you did pre-pandemic, but do you get that sense that these players are still on board with what Ron is preaching? 
Well, I think you can see it in how they, they always play through the fourth quarter. You know, when teams are struggling and, you know, they're they're out of the game by the start of the third quarter, that's when you really have to wonder, right? Are, they're they're kind of quitting, uh, uh, you know, on their on their coach, on themselves. They're not playing it through the end of this game of the end of the game. This team always finishes through four quarters. I mean, they've won how many games late? Almost all of their wins have been incredibly close. Their losses have been close. Um, and, and to me, that's the sign of a team that that doesn't quit. And that's important because once it, you know, once you quit on one game, it starts to snowball. I saw it in Denver, and you know, hope to see it, not see it here. You know. <laughs> Talking Washington football team with Washington football team insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post. So among the many heroes for Washington in the win over the Bucks was Taylor Heineke. I think that most people had arrived at more or less the same conclusion on Heineke. Good backup NFL quarterback, not a quality starting NFL quarterback. And thus Washington needs to shop hard this offseason for a franchise quarterback. But if Heineke plays as he did this past Sunday for most of the rest of the regular season, like let's say that Heineke plays as he did this past Sunday in six of Washington's final eight regular season games, do you believe that Washington would move forward with Heineke as its starting quarterback? Or do you think that Washington will and should be shopping hard this offseason for a franchise quarterback, no matter what Heineke does the rest of this regular season? I think they need to shop hard for a quarterback, and that's not because of Heineke necessarily, but because they need help at that position no matter what. Um, you know, it, it's it's right now it's just Heineke and Kyle Allen. Um, so, yeah, I think they do need to shop hard for a quarterback, but if they end up, you know, getting a young guy and, Taylor Heineke shines and becomes the star. Great. You got two quarterbacks and that's, you know, something most teams would envy. Um, but I do think that should be the priority going into the offseason. Now the key with Heineke in terms of, you know, starter conversation versus, you know, uh, being a really good backup is again, the consistency. Can he do what he did against the Bucks? you know, most every night or is it kind of going to be up and down? I mean, people forget that, you know, he's, you know, closing in on 30, but, and he's been in the league for quite some time, but this is really the first season where he's had, you know, this many starts. He, this really is kind of like a rookie season for him. And, and it's going to take some time to build that. And does Washington have time for it? That's up to them to decide. But, you know, I, I think he should certainly be in the conversation to at the very least compete. Um, but ultimately it's going to come down to whether he can do this, consistently and if you know of course if you can stay healthy do you think there's upside to Heineke like I think one of the things that's tough to grapple with is his inconsistency is that due to that lack of experience that you talked about or is that just due to him having a low ceiling that like this is just kind of who he is what do you think the right answer is on that yeah I mean I think it's hard to tell at this point because it's really so early into like his his starting career um you know I I I think what he showed in the Bucks game was, you know, probably closer to what he's capable of. Again, consistency, but I don't, you know, I, I hate talking about ceilings because until you see a guy do something, you don't know that he has it. Um, you know, it, I, I think it's easy to just kind of label him as, you know, this is what he is. He's, you know, a viable backup and that's great, but he's probably not going to be nothing you know, he's probably not going to be anything more, but until you see a guy go out there, you don't really know. I think 
what sets Heineke apart from, you know, what, what so many think is, you know, he's just a, a good backup for, and it can step in for one or two games is he's kind of got that, that moxie. And I know that's kind of, it's cliche and you can't quantify it and whatnot, but look at the guy's record, even this season, even going back to the Tampa game in January, that playoff start. I mean, the dude's got something where he's just, and he doesn't back down, whether he's playing Brady or, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers team, he stays in it. And with a lot of young quarterbacks, um, a lot of lesser experienced quarterbacks, they can get in their head. He doesn't do that. Um, and that's, that's a trait you just can't teach. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you were among those who on Sunday reported that he is, in fact, unlikely to play again this season due to the right hip subluxation that was suffered in week one. I'm curious about this. The decision was made for him to not undergo surgery off suffering the injury. I know that you're not a doctor. I'm certainly not a doctor. But is the fact that the hip isn't healing quickly an indication that he should have undergone the surgery or would undergoing surgery have ended his season? That I, I honestly don't know. And I don't want to speculate on whether, you know, he should have done something because I, 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 from what I was told from the couple of doctors I talked to is, you know, a lot of it is dependent on um, if there was damage to surrounding tissue, like when that, that, hip joint partially dislocates does it tear any um ligaments cartilage do any surrounding bone does that fracture um so we weren't given that level of specifics on you know what exactly went on in in his hip joint um just that he was electing to not have surgery and rehab um so i don't know if that's something he's gonna have to face down down the road if this more conservative approach doesn't work or you know, if this is what was recommended and, you know, it's, it's everybody's different in, in terms of how long they need to, to recover, to heal. So, um, I hate saying this since he and I are the same age, but you know, you have to also factor in his age for a quarterback and it's, it's not the same for a 22 year old, you know, so you might take a little bit longer to heal. And certainly then you start to, um, start to question, you know, his future in the game, you know, could this be it? Not just with Washington, but, you know, the league. Yeah. I mean, you'd hate for his career to end like that, but I suppose it is a possibility. One of the pains of this Washington season has been that the team's top two offensive free agent acquisitions this past offseason, right? Ryan Fitzpatrick and Curtis Samuel have barely played uh, where do you think that we're headed with Samuel and his never-ending groin injury? Do you think that he'll play again this season? Um, I would be surprised, frankly. Um, I know they they're, they don't want to put him on IR because they, they feel there's still a chance he could play. But, um, you know, the, the longer he's out and given their record, you have to wonder if there's any value to even risking it at this point if he's needed this long to heal um is it is it worth it to put him in for those final two games if you know you're out of playoff contention to me it it's would seem pretty obvious that it's not um but that's that's a tough one um you know it's a hard injury to recover from um and, and losing him is you know losing a key piece of what they envisioned for this offense but it's it's, it's not just him. It's, you know, as you said, Fitzpatrick, it's not having Logan Thomas out there. 
for a handful of games. Um, Ricky Seals Jones now is day to day. I mean, you've lost half your offensive line. Thankfully, Sheriff is back, and you know, hopefully, they can get Sam Cosme back. But I mean, they've they've dealt with so many injuries, especially on offense, that it's honestly remarkable they've been able to do what they have with with that group. You know, talking about these injuries is a reminder that Washington is without Ryan Vermillion, uh, the team's director of sports medicine and head athletic trainer on administrative leave for what the team has called an ongoing criminal investigation unrelated to the team. Uh, We know the DEA is involved. Uh, The investigation per reports has to do with prescription drugs. Are you hearing anything about this Vermillion situation, whether he'll be back? There's been very little out there about this Vermillion situation over the last few weeks. Yeah, and you know, to say it's not related to the team when the team's facility yeah, was I know. <laughs> searched, it's very much related to the team. Um, but yeah, it's 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 slow going, as are most things that involve the feds. So, um, you know, they're they're doing their process behind the scenes and the rest of us just kind of have to wait. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty and it's, it's Ryan Vermillion and it's also one of their assistant athletic trainers who are both on administrative leaves. So they've been relying on, um, two assistant athletic trainers and then a third who also doubles as a physical therapist and to kind of help fill the void, they brought in, um, some interns they had during the summer and former trainer Bubba Tire, but you know, that that certainly complicates matters when you got that many key players on, you know, dealing with significant injuries and you don't have your, your full athletic training staff. It felt just from purely a football standpoint when this Vermillion thing broke that this might be a competitive disadvantage for Washington. Do you have any sense on that? Like, have they suffered from a standpoint of injury recovery, injury prevention with Vermillion not being around? I mean, it's certainly possible if you don't have your your full staff there um you know it's also hard to correlate it back to just that factor um they still have their full medical staff in terms of team doctors um but you certainly have to wonder if that's the case you know you made the joke about the team saying that the investigation is unrelated to the team I mean it sounded ridiculous at the time why did the team say that? I mean, everyone knew the DEA raided the facility. Like, why Why would you say this is unrelated to the team? If you don't know, just don't address that portion of things. I still find that bizarre. I, I honestly don't know, but I just think it's, it's, you know, factually incorrect to say it's unrelated to the team when they raided the facility. I mean, there is, he and he's an employee of the team, you know. At that much, it is related to the team. Yeah. I yeah, I honestly don't know. Something like that, does that come from the media relations department? Does that come from Ron? Does that come from someone else? Do you know? Um, not sure, honestly. Um, there are a number of people, you know, from the business side to football side to, you know, others working with ownership that might have had a hand in, you know, the, the wording of the statement. So not entirely sure. All right. Final topic. The leaked Bruce Allen emails, the lack of transparency from the NFL with the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal, congressional involvement. Now John Gruden suing the NFL and Roger Goodell. Nobody knows where all of these things will take us. But from a standpoint of us as Washington fans and observers, do you think that we, from any or all of these things, ultimately will get more specifics on Washington's workplace misconduct scandal and the Beth Wilkinson investigation? 
Well, I think it could drag out for quite some time, but you know, the the chance where more could come out is, you know, if Congress decides to, you know, subpoena, use their subpoena power to to get more information. And same thing with John Gruden's lawsuit against the NFL. Um, well, it seemed like a thin lawsuit on first glance. You know, you do, you know, if this if this goes to discovery, then yeah, more information could come out. Um, even if additional motions are filed, there's more documents that, you know, are, are available and could come out. So yeah, it's very possible more information comes out, but yeah, like it, like you said, it, it's kind of hard to tell at this point. Yeah, we just don't know. Well, Mickey, I appreciate you coming out very much. All the best to you, and thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, good stuff from Nikki Javala. Up next, my tribute to Sam Huff, and we examine whether Sonny Jurgensen, Sam Huff, and Frank Herzog were the greatest Washington, D.C. sports announced team ever. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, so the Washington football team's 29-19 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon came a day after the passing of Sam Huff. Uh, There was something appropriate about the Washington defense finally having a good game this season one day after the death of one of the best defensive players in Washington history. We learned on Saturday evening that legendary former Washington linebacker, legendary former Washington radio analyst and pro football Hall of Famer Sam Huff had died at the age of 87. He had been battling dementia. Uh, There's been a lot of good stuff out there regarding Sam Huff over these last few days. A loyal listener of this podcast, Ivan Lambert, wrote a nice piece on Sam Huff for Washington Football Wire. Uh, I put out a tweet on Sam Huff on Saturday night Got a lot of nice feedback. Tweet from Michael Murray. Sam lived near the gas station I worked at 
when I was a kid. Stopped in all the time. Nicest guy you'd ever meet. R.I.P. Sam. A tweet from Hugo. I met Sam several times in my life, and he was always very generous with his time with me and my wife. A tweet from Rhino. Al, would love to see a segment on remembering this franchise star. Maybe a Sam Huff 101 for those who forgot or never knew. Yes, Rhino. Excellent idea. Uh, I wanted to do a segment on Sam Huff. He is an important figure in Washington football history. So first of all, Sam Huff was an all-time great linebacker. Uh, Sam Huff was taken by the New York Giants in the third round of the 1956 NFL Draft out of West Virginia. The Giants, over Huff's eight seasons with the team, 1956 through 1963, reached the NFL championship game six times. Now, there was no Super Bowl then, so the equivalent of the Super Bowl was the NFL championship game. The Giants, with Huff, reached the NFL championship game six times in his eight seasons with the team, although the Giants only won one of those NFL championship games, the one for the 1956 season, which was his rookie season. Then came the trade. Uh, The Giants traded Huff to Washington prior to the 1964 season, and Sam Huff was bitter about that trade for years. He was especially bitter at then-Giants head coach Ali Sherman for engineering the trade. There is a famous story that has been told many times. What is true and what is not true? Hard to say, but here are the basics. November 27th, 1966, the Washington Redskins blew out, and I mean blew out, the New York Giants at D.C. Stadium 72-41. 72-41. Yes, the final score of the game was 72-41. Huff was on that Skins team. Sherman was the head coach of that Giants team. And Sam Huff got his revenge with this game. Sam Huff either encouraged or, in fact, overruled Washington's then-head coach, the legendary Otto Graham, in calling out Charlie Gogolak to kick a field goal near the end of garbage time. Now, some versions of the story have Huff actually ordering Gogolak to come kick the field goal. Other versions of the story have Huff simply encouraging Graham to have Gogolak kick the field goal. Whatever the case, Gogolak kicked the field goal to get Washington to the 70-point plateau and further humiliate Ali Sherman. Said Sam Huff to the New York Post in 2005, quote, it was between me and Ali Sherman. I took an oath that I would never quit (laughs) until I got him fired. That game was my anger coming out at the way the whole thing happened. End quote. That was Sam Huff. He was a tough, proud man. He loved to compete, loved to brutalize people into submission. Now, Sam Huff only played for Washington for five seasons, 1964 through 1967, and then 1969 as a player coach under Vince Lombardi in his lone season as Washington head coach. So Sam Huff's best seasons as a player really were with the Giants. He's remembered more as a player for the Giants than he is as a player for Washington. Part of that uh, are two famous media pieces. Sam Huff was famous for two media pieces. Huff became the first NFL player to be featured on the cover of Time Magazine, appearing on the November 30th 1959 issue. Of course, magazines were a big deal back then. And Huff was featured on something called The 20th Century, which was a documentary television program hosted by Walter Cronkite on CBS. The program began in the late 1950s, and the show once broadcast a piece on Sam Huff titled The Violent World. 
of Sam Huff. And Huff wore a microphone during practice and an exhibition game for the piece. This is a famous piece in NFL history. But whereas Giants fans know Sam Huff as a player, Washington fans know Sam Huff probably more as a broadcaster than as a player. It's funny that Sam Huff is fondly remembered by two rival fan bases and those for the Giants in Washington. You know, it's funny that Sam Huff is fondly remembered in two major U.S. cities in New York and Washington, D.C., but he is fondly remembered for different reasons. Look, you have to be in at least your late 50s at this point to have any memory of Sam Huff as a player. But Sam Huff as a broadcaster, that's a different deal. And that's how I came to know Sam Huff. Uh, Sam Huff served as a radio analyst for Washington Games from 1975 through 2012, 38 seasons. Uh, Sam Huff from 1981 through 2012, 32 seasons, did Washington Games along with legendary former Washington quarterback and Pro Football Hall of Famer Sonny Jurgensen. And they, from 1981 through 2003, 23 seasons, did Washington Games with play-by-play man Frank Herzog. Sonny, Sam, and Frank became an institution for Washington fans, and Sonny, Sam, and Frank were the soundtrack of the greatest era in Redskins history. If you say Sonny, Sam, and Frank to any Washington football fan over the age of, say, 30, he or she almost certainly knows who you're talking about, Sonny, Sam, and Frank. Uh, They had great chemistry. They were likable. Sonny would needle Sam. Sam would needle Sonny. Frank had his patented touchdown Washington Redskins call. But truthfully, the best thing that Sonny, Sam, and Frank had going was that the team was great. Their first season together was 1981, which was Joe Gibbs' first season as Redskins head coach. The next season began a stretch of the Skins winning three Super Bowls and advancing to four Super Bowls in 10 seasons. From 1982 through 1991, the Skins won three Super Bowls and four NFC championships. Just an unbelievable decade. And it's not like the non-Super Bowl seasons were terrible seasons. Washington, from 1982 through 1992, made the playoffs eight times in 11 seasons. Washington, from 1983 through 1991, won at least 10 regular season games eight times in nine seasons. These achievements, of course, sound like fantasy right now, okay? Sound like make-believe these days, but these achievements happened, I promise you, even though I was two when all of this started. But in an era without the internet, in an era without social media, in an era without podcasts, in an era without sports radio stations in Washington, D.C., Sonny, Sam, and Frank were perhaps a Redskins fan's greatest connection to the team. And Sam Huff passing away is a reminder of this connection. I'm not even sure that you can make a case for any other Washington, D.C. sports announced team truly being in competition with Sonny, Sam, and Frank in terms of prominence. We have had plenty of good broadcast teams in D.C. over the years, but not a single one has ever become what Sonny, Sam, and Frank became. The closest one to me is the team of Joe Beninati and Craig Laughlin. Uh, They started doing Capitals games on television in the 1996-1997 season. So this season is their 25th season together because there was no 2004-2005 NHL season due to a lockout. Uh, Joe B. and the Locker are great. I've had them on my shows many times over the years. But what works against Joe B. and the Locker having more prominence than Sonny, Sam, and Frank are really two things. Number one, the NFL is more popular 
than the NHL. And number two, while the Caps have made the Stanley Cup playoffs a lot during the era of Joe B and the Locker, the Caps have won just one Stanley Cup title. 2018, during the era of Joe B and the Locker. Now, the Caps did make another Stanley Cup final, the 1998 Stanley Cup final, but the Caps, during the era of Joe B and the Locker, have made two Stanley Cup finals, 1-1. The Skins, during the era of Sonny Sam and Frank, made four Super Bowls and won three, and did so in a much more condensed period of time as compared to the Caps' two Stanley Cup final appearances. So I would put Joe Beninati and Craig Laughlin number two on the all-time list of Washington, D.C. sports announced teams. Uh, Steve Buckhans and Phil Chenier were really good. Uh, they did Wizards games on television for 20 seasons, for the 1997-98 season through the 2016-2017 season. But of course, so many of those Wizards seasons were bad seasons. And those that were playoff seasons never resulted in the Wizards advancing past the second round. Uh, Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler are worth mentioning. Charlie and Dave started doing Nationals games on radio in the 2006 season. The 2021 season was their 16th season together. They obviously called a World Series title for the Nats in 2019. But prior to that postseason, the Nats had not won a single postseason series in the team's time in D.C. Had made multiple postseasons, had had multiple very good regular seasons, but the Nats did not advance past a National League Division Series until that 2019 postseason. You see, a lot of this is beyond the broadcaster's control. The broadcast teams, of course, have nothing to do with how good the teams are, but how good a team is goes a long way toward determining how prominent and how legendary a broadcast team becomes. And to me, there is no more prominent, no more legendary Washington, D.C. sports announced team than Sonny, Sam, and Frank. All you have to do is say those three names, Sonny, Sam, and Frank. And true Washington fans know exactly who you're talking about. Rest in peace, Sam Huff. Well, if it's possible to be surprised by something that everybody expected, that's what happened with Virginia Tech and head coach Justin Fuente. Ahem, mutually parting ways on Tuesday morning. Nobody expected Fuente to last beyond this season as Hokies head coach, but nobody was anticipating his departure happening on Tuesday morning. Uh, Virginia Tech on Tuesday morning announced that the school and head coach Justin Fuente had, quote, mutually agreed to part ways, end quote. Yes, this was a mutual decision. We decided it was best that We go our separate ways. Yeah, I'm sure that the decision was entirely mutual. Uh, J.C. Price takes over as Tech interim head coach for the rest of the season. Price had been Tech's co-defensive line coach and defensive recruiting coordinator. Virginia Tech paid quite the price to get rid of Justin Fuente as head coach with just two games left in the team's regular season. So the Hokies announced this ahem, mutual parting of the ways with Fuente on Tuesday morning, which was November 16th. Fuente was to be owed a $10 million buyout, though there were multiple reports that the buyout was negotiated down to $8.75 million. But the $10 million buyout would have decreased by $2.5 million after December 16th. So let's think about this. The Hokies could have just waited a month waited through their two remaining regular season games, and then have had to pay a buyout of $7.5 
million. Instead, the Hokies went ahead with the departure now and negotiated the buyout to $8.75 million. Now, Virginia Tech Director of Athletics Whit Babcock in a press conference on Tuesday morning did say that Fuente could have finished out the season but chose not to, and Babcock did say that he did not blame Fuente for not wanting to finish out the season. But ultimately, the Hokies essentially paid $1.25 million to get a one-month head start in their search for a head coach. But you know what? That may well be worth it. You know, we'll see who the Hokies get to replace Fuente, but there is fierce competition in the coaching carousel in college football already. Head coaching jobs that were open at the time of the Hokies' mutual parting of the ways with Fuente. LSU, USC, TCU, Washington, Washington State. So I get what the Hokies were thinking in parting with Fuente now. And you know what? It's also possible that the Hokies already have Fuente's replacement lined up. You know, we'll see. Uh, The Justin Fuente era at Virginia Tech got off to such a good start. It's interesting now looking back on where we were versus where we wound up. Uh, Justin Fuente was the guy after the guy, right? He replaced the legendary Frank Beamer as Tech head coach. And Fuente initially was rolling. So Tech hired Fuente as head coach in November 2015 of him having compiled a 19-6 and record over his final two seasons as Memphis's head coach. Fuente guided Memphis to back-to-back bowl berths after inheriting a Memphis program that went 5-31 and over three seasons before his arrival. Uh, Fuente's first two seasons as Hokies head coach went quite well. Uh, Fuente's Hokies in the 2016 season went 10-4 and as Fuente won ACC Coach of the Year. Yes, he was the ACC Coach of the Year in his first season as Hokies head coach. Fuente's Hokies in the 2017 season went 9-4. and But then came Fuente's final four seasons as Hokies head coach. Uh, 2018 season, the Hokies went just 6-7, and although they did deal with a ton of injuries that season. Uh, 2019 season, the Hokies did go 8-5. and five, But the 2020 season, the Hokies went just 5-6, and six, finishing with their worst record since going 2-8-1 in 1992. And then this season, the Hokies are just 5-5. Five and five. So Fuente went 19-8 and eight over his first two seasons as Hokies head coach, but then just 24-23 and 23 over the rest of his tenure as Hokies head coach. Things never felt super comfy for Justin Fuente this season. Things were dicey for Fuente as Virginia Tech head coach heading into this season. Virginia Tech Director of Athletics Whit Babcock last December 15th announced that Fuente would be back for a sixth season as Hokies head coach. When the Director of Athletics has to hold a press conference to announce that you're coming back as head coach, that's a problem, okay? That's not ideal. It's funny because Tech's and Fuente's 2021 season did get off to a great start, right? Virginia Tech began its 2021 season with that 17-10 win over then number 10 North Carolina at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg on September 3rd. Uh, That game was a Friday evening game. Lane Stadium was on fire for that game. Tech pulled off the big win. You really couldn't have asked for a better start to Tech's season. You really couldn't have asked for a better start to Justin Fuente trying to save his job. But since that game has come the rest of Tech's season. September 18th, then number 15, Virginia Tech fell to 2-1 with a 27-21 loss at West Virginia. The Hokies rallied from a 27-7 third quarter deficit to cut the Mountaineers' lead 
to 27-21, but failed to score a touchdown despite having a first and goal at the three deep into the fourth quarter. The Hokies' red zone offense was a mess in this game. Hokies in the game went just one of four in the red zone. And in college football, a red zone conversion is amassed when you score either a touchdown or a field goal. So one of four doesn't mean you scored a touchdown and maybe kicked a few field goals. No, one of four means you got nothing but a touchdown slash field goal, and that was it out of four red zone trips. September 25th, Virginia Tech won, uh, improved to three and one, but with a way too close for comfort 21-10 win over Richmond at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg. So first of all, you have Richmond, which is an FCS school. Second of all, you have Richmond, an FCS school, playing most of the game without the team starting quarterback, Joe Mancuso, due to an injured right hand. October 9th, Virginia Tech fell to 3-2 with a 32-29 loss to then number 14 Notre Dame at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg. You say, well, okay, is there real shame in losing to Notre Dame? Not necessarily, but the Hokies were up in this game. The Hokies blew a 10-0 second quarter lead and a 29-21 fourth quarter lead as they allowed Notre Dame to score 11 points over the final two minutes, 30 seconds. October 16th, Virginia Tech fell to 3-3 with a disastrous game, a 28-7 homecoming loss to Pitt at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg. October 23rd, Virginia Tech fell to 3-4 with a 41-36 loss to Syracuse at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg. Another terrible loss for the Hokies. Facing a Syracuse team that came into the game 0-3 in the ACC, the Hokies got outscored in the fourth quarter 21-10 in losing their third consecutive game. November 5th, Virginia Tech fell to 4-5 with a 17-3 loss at Boston College. Yes, BC surprisingly started Phil Dracovic at quarterback. Yes, the Hokies starting quarterback Braxton Burmeister left the game in the first quarter due to injury and did not return. And yes, Hokies receiver Trey Turner did not play due to injury. But this was maybe the low point for Justin Fuente as Hokies head coach. Facing a Boston College team that had lost four consecutive games and was 0-4 in the ACC, the Hokies scored just three points in losing for a fifth time in seven games since a 2-0 start. Uh, Fuente's final game as Tech head coach does end up being a blowout win. Uh, Virginia Tech improved to 5-5 five five with a 48-17 win over Duke at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg this past Saturday. This was the Hokies' final home game of the season. They smashed a terrible Duke team that fell to 0-6 in the ACC, but the game meant nothing in terms of saving Fuente's job. I said that on Monday's show, episode 187, and uh, that reality now is as clear as can be. There's also this. Hendon Hooker. If you are a Virginia Tech fan, that name gives you chills. That name gives you the heebie-jeebies. Hendon Hooker. One of the biggest problems for Virginia Tech this season has been the team's quarterback play. Uh, Braxton Burmeister has had his moments, but he overall has not been that good. Uh, Braxton Burmeister through week 11 was just 86th among qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR this season at 51.5. Well, a person who had been a quarterback for the Hokies over the previous three seasons was Hendon Hooker. Well, Hendon Hooker this past January announced that he was transferring to Tennessee. Hendon Hooker is killing it for Tennessee this season. Hendon Hooker through week 11 was number 21 among qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR this season 
at 76.6. Hendon Hooker this season has 22 touchdown passes versus three interceptions. Now, look, it isn't necessarily Justin Fuente's fault that things did not work out for Hendon Hooker at Virginia Tech. Uh, Players in college football and college basketball transfer all of the time these days. Who knows exactly what was going on with Hendon Hooker? Uh, You know, it's not like Fuente never played Hendon Hooker, and it's not like Hendon Hooker set the world on fire at Virginia Tech. But Hendon Hooker is setting the world on fire at Tennessee and against better competition, right? I mean, Tennessee in the SEC is playing a much tougher schedule than Virginia Tech in the ACC. And so you've got to ask the question of why? Why is Hendon Hooker so much better at Tennessee than he was at Virginia Tech? What is Tennessee doing with Hendon Hooker that Virginia Tech did not do? It has not at all been a good look for Justin Fuente that Hendon Hooker has thrived at Tennessee, especially given Braxton Burmeister's underwhelming season. So who's next for Virginia Tech? Well, I do think that the Virginia Tech head coaching job is an attractive job. Uh, Virginia Tech football has tradition. Virginia Tech is a football first school. Blacksburg, Virginia and the surrounding area have no major pro sports teams. So Virginia Tech football is the biggest deal in that area in terms of sports. But there are issues for Virginia Tech. Uh, A, the school's football budget has not been on par with the budgets of the true big boys in college football. B, Virginia, at least for the moment, has surpassed Virginia Tech in terms of being the top collegiate football program in the Commonwealth of Virginia. I mean, look at each program's last four seasons. I'll take Virginia's last four seasons over Virginia Tech's last four seasons. Look at Virginia's recent quarterbacks. When's the last time that Virginia Tech had a quarterback as good as Brennan Armstrong or even Bryce Perkins? And see, believe it or not, Virginia Tech basketball has become a better program than Virginia Tech football. Uh, Tech basketball has made the NCAA tournament in each of the last four seasons for which there has been an NCAA tournament, 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2021. Uh, The Hokies in the 2019 NCAA tournament advanced to the Sweet 16 for the first time since the NCAA tournament expanded in 1985. So while Virginia Tech basketball isn't as big of a deal as Virginia Tech football, Virginia Tech basketball in recent years has been better than Virginia Tech football. That's not the way that things are supposed to be, and yet they are. And so Justin Fuente is out as Hokies head coach. Well, the Capitals late night on Tuesday night began a four-game trip out west. The Caps lost, but they did get a point. Caps lost at the surging Anaheim Ducks 3-2 in overtime. Caps' four-game winning streak ended. The Ducks now have won eight consecutive games. And the Caps now are 9-2-5 and five this season. And let's focus on that last number, five, as in overtime losses on the season. The Caps now are 0-5 in overtime games this season. Uh, Trevor Zegras scored the game-winning even strength goal 4-14 into overtime for a second goal of the game. It's tricky because hockey is a fluky sport in general, and then overtime hockey is even more fluky with play being three-on-three. So I don't read that much into the Caps being 0-5 in overtime games so far this season, but that is bizarre that you've played five overtime games and you haven't won a single one of your overtime games. Here was 
Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame session with reporters early Wednesday morning on another overtime loss for the Caps. I mean, there was, yeah, we're, we're trying to do things the right way out there. You know, we talk about it. We, we go through it. Um, at the end of the day, they, you know, we had, it was a one verse two, and he took, took a step, put it in the back of the net. So um, talk about everything, uh, overtime regulation, uh, when we break down the game and move on with the guys, and it's over. We lost. We got we to gotta get better at it. You do, although that the Cavs got a point on Tuesday night, to me, was a victory in a lot of ways. And I'm not big on moral victories, but I think in this case, you can certainly make a case that a moral victory was attained. I've talked about the Cavs doing well this season, despite missing so many key players. Well, the Cavs on Tuesday night were down another key player. Lars Eller did not play due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. So a Caps team that has not had Nicholas Backstrom at all this season due to ongoing rehabilitation on his hip and is without Nick Dowd due to a lower body injury, now was without Lars Eller. Three of the Caps' top four centers did not play on Tuesday night. No Nicholas Backstrom, no Lars Eller, no Nick Dowd. You're minus three of your top four centers in addition to the Caps continuing to be without two key wingers in T.J. Oshie and Anthony Mantha. Oshie is dealing with a lower body injury. Mantha is out indefinitely due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on November 5th. And so to me, the Caps did a good job of at least getting a point at, again, a team in the Ducks that's been playing really well. Uh, missing a number of key players and facing this Ducks team that had won seven consecutive games, the Caps scored two third period goals. Uh, Garrett Pilon, who served as the Caps' third-line center with Lars Eller out, scored the first career NHL regular season goal in the career of Garrett Pilon. And even strand goal 536 into the third period as uh, Pilon, with his stick in the slot, deflected a shot by defenseman Martin Fehervari. Uh, Pilon becomes the fifth different Capitals rookie this season to score his first career regular season goal. Uh, but the Caps in this game had, believe it or not, three rookie centers. So it wasn't just that the Caps were minus three of the team's top four centers. It's that the Caps in the game had three rookie centers. And perhaps not coincidentally, the Caps got bludgeoned on faceoffs. Caps for the game, just 17 and 35 on faceoffs. That's pretty brutal. 17 and 35. Although a big part of that was a non-rookie, Evgeny Kuznetsov going just six and 16 on faceoffs. Kuznetsov historically is atrocious on faceoffs. He actually hasn't been that bad this season, but he was quite bad on Tuesday night. Still, here was Laviolette early Wednesday morning on the cap struggling on faceoffs. Yeah. I mean that's possession, right? So I mean, we just gotta we gotta keep battling. Right now we're 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 in it with regard to that. There's nothing you can do. And so again, I thought our guys, in spite of that, kept kept fighting to try and get possession, get it back. If we didn't win it off the faceoff, whether it be four checks or um, four checks off the faceoff, or you know just defending at that point. But um, you know it's there, there's there's a couple of experienced sentiment on their team as well. You know. But the Caps battled and, in fact, tied the game at two on a Tom Wilson even strand goal, 17-28 into the third period. So, to me, good job by the Caps to at least get a point 
in this game. Caps off a rough second period in terms of puck possession, dominated the third period in terms of puck possession. Caps for natural stature had just eight five-on-five shot attempts to the Ducks, 19 in the second period, but then had 29 five-on-five shot attempts to the Ducks, 11 in the third period. Uh, Vitek Vanacek, was a cap starting goaltender for the 11th time in 16 games this season. He stopped 28 of the 31 shots on goal that he faced. Vanacek, per natural stat trick, stopped 10 of the 12 high-danger shots on goal that he faced. It was a rough night for Alex Ovechkin. Uh, No points, just one shot on goal. He finished next to last on the caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick at 36.36. Caps with Ovechkin on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game, had 16 shot attempts versus allowing 28 shot attempts. And Ovi finished with a plus-minus rating of minus two. We did have a team-high tying six hits. Next up for the Caps is a game on Wednesday night. So the Caps have a back-to-back here. Uh, Caps will be at the Los Angeles Kings Wednesday night at 10.30. All right, let's talk some Hoyas before we call it a show. Uh, that was more like it from Georgetown on Tuesday night. Hoyas improved to 1-1 one and one with a 79-57 blowout of American at Capital One Arena. So as the legendary voice of the Hoyas, the great Rich Fotkin, likes to say, Hoyas win. Hoyas win! Hoyas win! Hoyas win! Hoyas win! Hoyas win! Yes, Rich, the Hoyas won, and we do not take that for granted. Uh, The Hoyas were coming off their disastrous season opening 69-60 loss to Dartmouth at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon. Now, it's not like the Hoyas dominated American throughout the game. Uh, Hoyas five minutes into the second half, led by just three at 44-41, but the Hoyas then ended the game on a 35-16 run. Uh, The Hoyas held American to just four of 19 on threes and just 17 of 42 on two. So Georgetown brought it defensively. The Hoyas out-rebounded American 50-31, including having 15 offensive rebounds to American seven. Uh, Hoyas went just seven to 24 on threes, went just 16 to 26 on free throws, but the Hoyas did go 21 of 39 on twos. Uh, six, five, five-star freshman Aminu Muhammad went two of three on threes, did though go just two of eight on twos and went just four, nine on free throws, but he finished with 14 points, 10 rebounds, two blocks, two steals, and two assists versus three turnovers in 27 minutes as a starter. The seven-foot Nigerian, Timothy Igoefe, uh, who did not play in the Hoyas season opening loss to Dartmouth due to a concussion that was suffered in practice, did play on Tuesday night. He had six points on three of three shooting, 11 rebounds, two steals, and two assists versus one turnover in just 20 minutes as a starter. Next up for Georgetown, home to Siena, Friday evening at 6.30. By the way, we also on Tuesday night had a rough loss for Virginia basketball. Wahoo Wah got smashed at number 15 Houston, 67-47. The Cavaliers are just 1-2 on the season. Remember, the Wahoos began their season with that stunning 66-58 loss to Navy at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville on November 9th. And that will do it for you and me for now. Uh, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 190, will feature a lot 
on the Washington football team off it on Wednesday, beginning the team's practice week for the Sunday afternoon's game at the Carolina Panthers at 1. Ron Rivera, of course, facing the team that fired him as its head coach off a home loss to Washington, right, in December 2019. Now, Ron, during his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon, would not answer a question about facing his former team. He was nice about it, but he said that he would talk about facing his former team come his Wednesday post-practice press conference. So we'll have plenty to get into with Don Ron speaking. We also anticipate a post-practice press conference for Taylor Heineke on Wednesday. Also on Thursday's show, I'll post-game a busy Wednesday night in D.C. sports as we will have the Capitals at the Los Angeles Kings at 10.30, the Wizards at the Charlotte Hornets at 7, and Maryland basketball home to George Mason at 7. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. They think they got the answers. I change the questions. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.